This is Sid Roth saying, Shalom Mishpacha. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with one of our It's Supernatural guests. And now, here's your host for this program, It's Supernatural television producer, Donna Chavis. Thank you, Sid. Hello, everyone. I'm Donna Chavis, and thank you for joining us here today for Messianic Vision. Our guest travels the globe teaching the concepts from his best-selling Courts of Heaven series, and today we are approaching the Courts of Heaven with a different petition. If you've ever experienced financial hardship or maybe sensed an invisible ceiling, as he puts it, that limits your current level of financial blessing, then you're about to discover how to enter the courts of heaven and unlock, oh, I like that, unlock the abundance that's reserved for God's people. I am so happy to have with us today, back again, we appreciate him visiting with us again today, Robert Henderson. Hi, Robert. Hi, Don. It's so good to be with you guys. Thank you so much for having me again on the program. Uh, well, we love it, and we know our audience loves you. They they love the fact that your teaching is full of the Word. It's full of revelation. And this concept of being able to approach our Heavenly Father as a righteous judge, wow. I remember when we first started talking about it a few years back, I was just blown away by the concept, and I love it so much. But you know what? Today we are talking about your brand new book, Unlocking Wealth from the Courts of Heaven. And I know some people think that as believers, somewhere along the way, it it almost became taboo to talk about money or finances, uh, wealth in the church. Why is that, and why did you write this book? Well, I think that, uh, number one, finances are absolute. I mean, to live a victorious life, to live a life of influence, because, of course, one of the things I talk about in the book is that one of the reasons for finances and wealth is to have influence so that we can influence the the earth and the um, issues with the kingdom of God. For instance, Deuteronomy 8.18 says uh, that he would give us power to get wealth, that he might establish his covenant in the earth. And yes. so, in other words, God's purposes being done in the earth, God being manifest and revealed, he says that he has to have a wealthy people to do that through. Now, I'll, I'm always quick to tell people that our economic status doesn't determine how much God loves us or doesn't love us at yes. all, obviously. Yes. But, but God said, I want to trust some people with wealth so that they can then from that place of influence uh, even have a greater um, uh, dimension of expanding the rule of the kingdom. Yes. And so that's really, that's really my, my heart for writing the book. Um, I, want us, I want us to all individually be blessed. We, we all need that because I, one of the things I discover is that if you're struggling financially or if you're struggling personally, it's really hard to have a kingdom heart that says, well, I really want the kingdom of God to be established because I'm so consumed with my own problems. And and I really believe the enemy uses that sometimes. He, he, he tries to keep us consumed with our own issues so that we can't really give ourselves to the expansion of God's kingdom. So I believe God wants to bless us personally 
so that we can be free, so that we can, with an undistracted viewpoint, actually be a part of what God's doing in the earth. Yes, yes. And and you have found, I know this is not your, your first book with the concept of the courts of heaven. You have found so many things. I mean, things in our families, our relationships, uh, in our physical bodies, you know, all can be approached in this way. I mean, all, all aspects of life can be addressed from this realm of the courts of heaven. And you didn't see any difference in, in unlocking this wealth. That, that's exactly right. You know, when I first got a hold of the Court of Heaven message, which has actually been about 10 years ago now, I've been teaching it for that long. Uh, and when I first, you know, got the revelation of it, it you know, I thought, oh, this is wonderful. Uh, but I thought, well, how does it really apply? Well, I have discovered that just about any area that we're, that we've been contending for a breakthrough in, but haven't been able to get. Yes then usually it's I've discovered usually it's because there's something legal the in, enemy is using to resist us from. Um, and and because we don't know that, we think, well, I guess God doesn't love me. I guess God doesn't want that for me. I guess maybe I thought it was God, but it must not be God. And we start questioning things. But when you realize that the enemy actually uses legal issues mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. to resist us with, then, then you start really, well, if I've got a problem in health or if I've got a problem in my marriage or I've got a problem with my family or with my children or I've got a problem with my finances, maybe the enemy has discovered something legal that, he get, that he's using to stop my breakthrough uh, with. Yes. And, and so when I discovered that, I was like, okay, this makes perfect sense. Yes, exactly. And let me read this one sentence that I had um, I had written down here. Uh, you said the word legal. Robert, in his new book, wants to help believers deal with legal issues in the spirit realm. So we're talking about in the spirit realm. You're not going to have to go down the street to the corner courthouse and, and walk in there. Legal issues in the spirit realm that Satan would be using to restrict our blessings. Ooh, that's powerful, Robert. Yeah, that, that whole issue of restricting because, see, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so I think we all at times, I mean, I know I do, um, need to have the limits removed because it's it's like many of us, most of us have dreams uh, and desires and ambitions that we feel like are from the Lord that we've, that we've never been able to get into. Yes. Well, the reason for that, there's limits on us, can be because the the, the uh, enemy has actually set restrictions. You know, I don't know that this is in the notes, but this is quite interesting. The Bible says in Revelation 12, verse 10 and 11, it says that the accuser of the brethren mm-hmm. accuses us before God day and night. That is the Greek word accuser, kategoros, uh, K-A-T-A-G-O-R-O-S. And it actually is the word we get to categorize from. Oh. So the enemy, through his accusations against us that are legal, he puts us in a category. He labels us and holds us in a place that God never meant for us to be held in. And so when we deal with his accusations, the legal things he's using, we break that categorization so we can come into the full measure of what we were actually made for. Wow. Can I just say wow on that one? <laughs> I, I love that. Well, I, w- I want to pick up something I said in the beginning, that sometimes people don't want to talk about wealth or money in the church or whatever. Is that because a lot of people had a misconception about Jesus being poor? 
Yes, I believe, you know, we've all, in, in our religious circles, e- even in evangelical Christianity so often, we were led to believe, if not taught, that Jesus was actually poor. But because of statements like this, I, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Yes. And we read that, and we and we were taught, well, see, Jesus was kind of lived the life of a pauper. But you start examining and realize, well, that Jesus was making that statement from a standpoint of he was on, if you will, a, a ministry journey, mm-hmm. and he was he was he was emphasizing that when you when while he was on this journey that he wasn't at home, so therefore he had to find a place to sleep each night. Right. Uh, he wasn't. It wasn't a statement about his economic status because when we start looking at Jesus, like he wore a robe that was so valuable that the, the soldiers said, "Let's not rend it. Let's let's keep it intact." You know, while he's being crucified. And let's gamble for it because they, they, they recognized how valuable this piece of clothing was that Jesus had wore uh, during his earthly life. And so it was, it was a very you know, rich robe, if you will. The money bag, there was so much money in the money bag that obviously Judas was stealing from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the ministry had, had, if you will, money. The Bible says you know, in Luke 8 about the women of great means uh, that they provided for him from their substance. And so on and on and on, we see where, where uh, Jesus, uh, is, it is very clear that there was, there was wealth uh, in the ministry. But for, and, and the other thing we need to realize is that Jesus and at least 12 men and their families traveled all over, if you will, doing ministry, none of them holding down a full-time job. Right. And so, so there was money to be had. So Jesus' ministry was, it was seen was taking care of himself and men and many of them having families. And so there was finances that were there within the ministry. So Jesus was not poor. And and here's the other thing. Everybody in that day in that culture, they gave one they gave one day's uh, uh, uh earning per month called the Taruma. They would give that to their rabbi. Okay, so that was called the Taruma. And so like one thirtieth of a month's wage, which would be one day's wage, they would take that and they would honor their rabbi with it. Well, Jesus was considered the rabbi of many, many people, thousands yes. of people that would have honored him with their Taruma. So again, there was lots and lots of money within the ministry. So Jesus was in no means poor. And to, to, to believe that is to buy into an idea that that somehow or another we're not supposed to have anything and and um, that poverty is a virtue mm-hmm. and all that. When, the, mm-hmm. when, when other places in the scripture actually says just the opposite. And that's that's an actual lie. That's a trick of the enemy to to keep us in that situation, because you teach us very clearly that wealth is influence. So uh, it's. It's to our benefit and to the kingdom benefit for us to to have wealth because that translates into influence. See how much I'm learning from you, Robert? <laughs> I'm learning so much. <laughs> but what does what does Jesus being poor actually speak of if we're not talking about finances there? Well, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 9, verse 8, I think it is, uh, it's so clear, so clear. The Bible says, when, when Paul was, and by the way, Second Corinthians chapter eight and Second Corinthians chapter nine are about money. I mean, it's not uh, Paul writing there is talking to the Corinthian church about their need 
uh, to give offerings and what happens whenever they handle their finances appropriately. So those two chapters in particular are completely about natural finances. And and Paul, in making this statement, he says that Jesus being rich became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. So the whole issue there is that when Jesus hung on the cross, he allowed himself to be completely stripped of of everything, uh, even in the natural that he had. Uh, we know that, that he was stripped of his clothing. We know he, he died as a common criminal, if you will, all those kind of things. Well, the reason he did that was so that even though he was rich, he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich because the whole issue is the cross – the cross was a trade. Uh, and, and in other words, Jesus made a trade in our behalf so that, that, that not, for instance, he traded um, and took our sin that we might have his righteousness. Yes. He took our sickness that we might have his health, but he took our poverty that we might have his riches. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he dealt with the spirit of poverty that wants to come to control us and tell us what our destiny is supposed to be when God says it's supposed to be something else. Yes. And so that's, that's what it means when Jesus became poor. Yes. Wow. That is so, so good. And when we're talking about the Passover lamb, when God provided that Passover lamb, I think a lot of us sometimes only think salvation in that, but it was much more. Oh, absolutely. I love to go back and look at even the original Passover when in Exodus 12, several things happened. Number one, they put the blood on the doorpost, which is obviously the blood of the lamb. That's the, that was the prophetic statement that Jesus would give his blood. And we, too, put the blood of the lamb uh, on our life, on our house. That, that's why you read where Paul would say literally that you and your household will be saved. Yes. That we can we can apply the blood, and not only do we as individuals get saved, but it gives God the right to claim our households as well. And And again, everybody in the household has to make their own personal decision, but— when, but but we have a right to claim our households along with the Lord uh, for salvation. So the blood was put on the doorpost. But then they also they I love this. They also uh, would eat. They ate the carcass of the lamb, the Passover lamb. Not only did they put the blood, but they had to eat the carcass. And the scripture says uh, in Psalms 105 that 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 when they went out of Egypt there was not a feeble one among them that's right and when they ate the carcass of the lamb they literally ate life unto themselves so so a miracle happened on the passover night where every sickness in the jewish people was instantly healed clearly because they all went out and there was there was it didn't say there was even a sick one it says there wasn't even a feeble one mm-hmm. but then the third thing that happened was that they were commanded to go borrow uh, from their neighbors. And so, and they did, and God touched the heart of all the Egyptians. And it says that they literally borrowed so much, if you will, that they plundered the Egyptian and they left with, they left with all the wealth of Egypt. Now, in Genesis 15, God actually says to Abraham, in, when, when he's in trance, he said, your people... The Jewish nation is going to go into captivity, and after 400 years, I will visit them, and they will come out with great abundance. It's the one thing that God told Abraham, that that Israel, not only would the blood be shed for them, not only would healing come to them, 
But he literally said, you will come out of Egypt with great wealth because God has always intended his people to steward the wealth of the riches. Yes. And so, and so, so, and that's exactly what happened. They came out with all the wealth, so much so that it said they plundered Egypt and they took away the wealth of Egypt when they left. Yes. And so, to me, that is a picture, of, a physical picture of actually what we are promised when we now come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, the blood speaks for us, uh, his body brings us healing, but also the power of poverty is broken so that we are empowered to prosper. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's exciting, isn't it? (laughs) Well, you know what? I know a lot of people listen to uh, speakers like yourself and man, you know, this message so well. I mean, God has really planted it inside of you to impart and you know it so well. and, And people listen to that and they go, oh, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. That sounds good. But how do I do it? How do I do it? And and Robert, honestly, I feel like you have you have really mastered the art of the how-tos in this book. I mean, you, you really teach people how to approach the place, this place in the spirit, and, and, and enter into prayer. And you talk about entering that place in three different dimensions of prayer, uh, approaching God as father, friend, and judge. Yes, absolutely. You know, that was, that was very, very early on in the teaching. I saw the court of heaven. But then the Lord, like someone asked me, a dear friend of mine, I was to call their name, everybody would probably know who they are, but they asked me, they said, how do you get this stuff? And I said, well, I said, it just, I just, I, I said, it just came to me. And I, I, I read the scripture enough that I suddenly realized that Jesus, in particular in the book of Luke, he, he, he put prayer in three dimensions. Uh, he talked about approaching God as Father. When he said, when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven. And then he said yes. in Luke 11, 5 through 8, he said, and, and which of you having a friend? And he begins to talk about approaching God as a friend. Mm-hmm. But then in Luke 18, 1 through 8, he puts prayer in a, in a judicial system. And, and about a widow approaching an unjust judge, which is, which is Jesus not saying that God's an unjust judge. We have to convince. He's saying... If this widow could get a verdict from an unjust judge through her presentation of her case, how much more can we come before God as the righteous judge and have him render decisions in our behalf? So we approach God as judge. And so I began to see that and realize that that approaching God as Father, we all would mostly understand that, that that Jesus, when he died on the cross— uh, uh, when he rose from the dead, he said to Mary, go tell them I'm going to my, my God and to their God, to my father and their father. Mm-hmm. And so God became accessible to us as father. But then also he became accessible to us as friend, which is a whole nother uh, a level of coming to God. But then I believe if we approach him as father, if we approach him as friend, and there seems to still be no answer, that Jesus added the third dimension, which was unveiling the whole issue that if the enemy has a legal right against you, that he is using to stop your prayers from being answered, this is the third dimension of how to come before him as a judge and have God render a decision in your behalf. And, and of course, again, that, that's where we begin to see uh, how we can do this in almost any area of prayer. Yes, yes. And this is a statement that, that really is one of those. You know how sometimes you can read a sentence and then all of a sudden something new pops out in, in the sentence? This is something that did that for me. Um, God doesn't 
give us wealth. The scripture says that he gives us the power to get wealth. That's that's a huge difference. Absolutely. See, this has been one of our misconceptions in the charismatic spirit-filled church uh, that we thought, well, you know, if I sow my seed, uh, you know, and I give my offering, that somehow or another uh, there's going to be wealth show up in my mailbox <laughs> or my bank account or whatever. And I'm not saying God can't do that. I, of do, course. I do know that there have been times where that has happened. But what he promises is power to get wealth, which are creative ideas, favor with the right people, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, the uh, promotions on your job, what, whatever it may be. It, it's that it's power to get wealth. And I try to help people understand that, that instead of looking for wealth to show up, you ought to be looking for the means that is going to produce the wealth. Yes. And so that's what I started doing. I, I began to realize, you know, God's not going to just give me wealth, but there are things that will that are speaking in my behalf that allows certain things to happen. But I'm going to have to um, operate in the favor of God. I'm going to have to operate in this business realm. I'm going to have to operate and this creative idea, you know, and those kind of things that will start unlocking wealth to come into my life. And so it's the power to get wealth that we should be looking for. Mm-hmm. I, I like that you say we should be looking for. We should start looking for these things, expecting these things. Uh, yes. Yes, yeah. I, well, the, 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 you know, the, when it says to get wealth, that word get, such a little bitty word. <laughs> it is the idea of, of conception occurring. It's like an idea conceives in our spirit. Mm-hmm. And we begin to carry that in, in almost like a pregnancy until we give birth to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, because every every uh, breakthrough that we have, it starts uh, as a seed. It starts as a concept that God impregnates us with that we actually can can, can bring forth uh, in the appropriate time and place. Yes, yes, I love that. Talk to us a little bit about the great wealth transfer. I've heard of that for so many years. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Well, you know, uh, there, there are definite scriptures that talks about God taking the wealth of the wicked, putting it in the hands of the righteous. There are scriptures that talk about God using the sinner to gather, uh, but then to give it to the righteous. What We don't have to look very far in our world to realize that the demonic side of things are, is being financed by people who have great wealth. Yes. And, and that the reason that they are empowered to do what they are doing is because their side has been able to accumulate people that have the ability to accumulate wealth and, and to finance what they're doing. Well, this is what I understand. God promises in his word to actually take wealth away from the sinner and put it into the hands of the righteous. And we have emphasized at times that God wants to make us wealthy for the purposes of the kingdom so that we can actually finance what God wants to see happen in the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that. But the other part of it is this, is that if he takes it from the wicked, then that means they become de-empowered. In other words, they lose their influence. Yes, They lose that which is empowering them to propagate their agenda in the earth, while we as the righteous are able to take the wealth that God is trusting us with, and we can use it to, you know, to empower God's purposes in the earth. 
And so that's what we that's really what we want to see happen. Uh, but but see, I tell people, I say, okay, God wants to make that transfer of the wealth. But again, it's not going to just show up in our bank account. I, I tell people, I say, one of the ways that we will see the transfer of wealth is that God will allow us as believers to see corporations arise that have a godly uh, concept that's driving them, that literally we have better uh, customer service, we have better products, we have better whatever, that people will come and begin to buy from Christian companies or yes. kingdom companies, if you will, that, that will cause the wealth to be transferred. Because again, we're not looking at just for wealth, we're looking for the power to get wealth that comes. And when that occurs, and all of a sudden there's a transference of wealth because the right people start having the money in their hand. So it's uh, to the enemy's advantage to keep us in lack and need and poverty. Oh, absolutely. If he can keep us there, then, then number one, he keeps us distracted. Because as I said earlier, what we're doing is we're all we're, we're just trying to survive, and if if you're trying to survive, you really don't have a heart or time it would seem to actually advance the kingdom. Yes. And so that's a very difficult thing. But if we can get as individuals and as families into the blessing of God, then not only do we have money then to bless the kingdom of God with, but we're living from a position of victory, so that. I'm not, I'm not living distracted by my need anymore. Now I can actually give my attention to the purpose of God. And, you know, we we would say, well, you know, we, we, we should do that anyway, whether we have need. Or, and I agree with that. We should. But in the, re, in the real world, in the real world, when, we're, when you're struggling to keep your head above water and not drowned in your need, it's really hard sure. sometimes to – to, you know, get focused in on the most important things. And so what I have found, if God can get us into a place of victory, then we can become focused and be able to really become a part of what he's wanting to do in these, in these times. Sure, yes, for sure. Robert, I, I can just imagine that probably some people look at you and they know he's traveling the world. I'm sure he's got a fine place to live for his family. You know, he dresses real sharp. He's kind of a hip dude. So I I, I bet they look at you and go, he doesn't know where I am. He has not experienced what I've experienced. But there was a time in your life, Robert, that, that you, you said the word survive a minute ago, that you were barely surviving. Oh, absolutely. Mary and I, first of all, we got married at 18 years wow. old, um, right out of high school, right out of high school. Uh, neither one of us had a college, obviously a college education. We still don't have a college education. Uh, knew that we were, knew I was called to ministry. Uh, Mary agreed that that's what she was signing up for <laughs> when we got married. But then we had very quickly, uh, we had uh, our children were born, uh, and we had six. We had six children born in about a twelve-year span, uh, and um, and so we had them. You know, at one point, obviously, we had them from twelve down to an infant, and and all the the you know um, struggles that just go with that alone. But then we were birthing a, a church, uh, a startup church, uh, and just all of that. I mean. I mean, this is this is what I tell people. I say, here's the way we we live. We 
we robbed Peter to pay Paul and then prayed for a miracle because, <laughs> because that was our life. Literally, we did not know how we were going to get by uh, uh, financially every month because our expenditures far exceeded, if you will, what we had coming in financially. And this wasn't just for a little period. This was years. This was, this was at least, I have to be honest, this is at least 20 years of our early married life. The first 20 years of our life married, this is the way we live. And because of, because of our children, I mean, as many children as we had, you know, and, and Mary had to stay at home. She couldn't, she couldn't work uh, because daycare would have been much more than she would have been able to have made. So it just solely off of what I could, what I could make, what I could create, you know, all of that kind of thing. I mean, uh, I was in full-time ministry, uh, but I also at one point drove uh, uh, through a paper route. Uh, get up very early in the morning and try to put, I mean, anything, anything to try to bring in extra money. And still, it wasn't enough. But here's what happened in that time. We we literally, we were doing everything we needed to do. We were trying to be as faithful as we knew how to be. We we gave our tithe. We, we sowed our money, our seed, because we believed in those principles. Um, and we, we practiced those principles very diligently. Um, but I remember, just so people will know, I remember uh, at one time, uh, my mom and dad were visiting us. We lived about two and a half hours from them, and they were visiting us. And while they were there, we lived in the trailer house, and while they were there, that they they came and they cut off our electricity, and they cut off our gas. Uh, and my mom looked at me uh, when all this was happening because she was there because, you know, they never would have been there, and they would have known what was going on. But there they were, and this was all yes. happening. And she looked at me, and she said, I think it's time for you all to come home, you know, move back to where we came from. And I remember I looked at her. I said, Mom, I said, didn't you and Daddy, I said, didn't y'all have struggles when you were our age? And she said, well, yeah. And I said, I remember I looked at her. I said, well, then why would you cheat me out of that? Ooh. And and uh, and she said, you're right. You're right. I mean, she she just, she just back, you know, she backed up. Because she, what she was saying was out of a deep concern. Of course, of course. But but here's what happened. During those times, we learned how to pray. We learned how to uh to go before God and seek His face, and uh, and so I remember I remember one moment, one time in particular. I, I mean, we I thought we were going to lose our house. I thought they were going to get get my car. You know, I already told you about the gas and electricity. And I was in one of the back bedrooms, and I was on my face, and I was praying. And the Lord spoke to me. He spoke clearly to me out of Psalms 23. He said, "The Lord is your shepherd; you shall not want." Mm -hmm. I heard it so clearly, and I got up, and I went into the kitchen. Mary was in the kitchen trying to get the kids fed, and I said, the Lord just spoke to me. And I said, he told me that he is our shepherd, and we shall not want. And she looked at me, and she said, he told me the same thing this oh. morning, the exact same word. And the need was met. There was provision that supernaturally started coming. And I learned how to depend on God. Yes. This is what I tell people. I learned how to depend on God when I needed hundreds of dollars. So that there came a time when we began to birth ministries so that I could believe him for millions of dollars. Oh, wow. And I said, and and I said the same faith that, that I that I developed believing him for hundreds was the faith I used to believe him for millions. And it's still the faith I use today to believe him to meet our needs. And so the only difference now is I understand some of the issues concerning the legalities the enemy was using to resist 
resist this with and so I can get answers quicker yes. and that really does happen yes and so those are just yeah we we went through some very difficult times <laughs> ouch <laughs> you know what I I like to share things like that so that people will know you know what I know where you are I know where you are and when I read your story Robert I mean you were working three jobs you were in full-time ministry but yet you depended on God and you found out something which which is uh, so valuable and that is that God is faithful. So uh, I, I'm sure that was a huge confidence booster, like you said, when, when times were just uh, not, not quite enough, not having enough, he was still always faithful. Wow, you know what? I need to take a quick little break here. So let me just tell you that are listening about this life-changing resource that we're offering from Robert Henderson. It's his brand new book, Unlocking Wealth from the Courts of Heaven. And seriously, what timely information this is for these crazy economic challenges that many of us are really facing right now in our world today. You'll also receive Robert's brand new mini book called Five Secrets to Resetting Economies, perfect for carrying with you anywhere you go, and also his brand new and exclusive two-part audio teaching called Prospering in the Midst of Change. So I want you just to be sure and listen for Sid at the end of the program because he's going to tell you exactly how you can get this amazing resource from Robert today. Ooh, Robert, this is good stuff right here, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It, is, it really is life-changing. It really you is. You know what? I don't put that, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing information about, about the products, I feel like that we do offer such powerful and amazing resources, I mean, for, for everyone that's listening. But the change that came in your life for someone who was near poverty level to someone now that you said in ministry you're believing for millions of dollars you know and God is still so faithful that is life-changing it's really really life-changing I wanted to talk about something that you call your poverty it's, it's about revoking a poverty spirit yes you know I was in uh, I was in Zimbabwe, actually, uh, speaking to a church of about 5,000 people. I mean, the Lord's Church, Lord's been they have many churches around. And, and the pastor there is an American, uh, he, but he's dedicated his life and his family have dedicated their life to serving there in Harare. And and, uh, and so he had, he had read my book and actually taught it, and, but he said, would you please come? And so they, I flew to Zimbabwe, and we did a conference, and then on Sunday morning he said, would you speak to our nation? He says, we'll be broadcasting to the nation. Would you speak something about the economy of Zimbabwe and and some principles that we might use from the court of heaven to see them change? And I said, well, I, yeah, I would be glad to, to endeavor to do that. So I thought, well, you know, I pray with seeking the Lord. And I thought, well, I'll just read Proverbs 6, 9 through 11 about uh, where it talks about laziness and, and a poverty resulting from that and all that. And so I'm standing on the platform, and I, and I, said, I, I said, I'm going to read these scriptures. And I opened my Bible and began to read. And it talks about a little a slumber, a little folding of the hands. And then it says, so shall your poverty come upon you like an armed man and like a prowler. Mm. And when I read, I'd never seen it before. When I read your poverty, that, that phrase, it literally jumped off the page at me. And I'm standing there before 5,000 people, and the Lord said to me as I was standing there, he said, 
It is something that's been assigned to you. It is your poverty. It's assigned to you from the devil. And if he discovers a legal right, he will land it against you. And he said, you have to, and the Lord said, you have to deal with the legal issues it's claiming so that it can, so that it has a right to attach itself to you. And I'd never seen that before. And I began to teach the people, we have to revoke the legal rights that would that would allow poverty, your poverty, to come and cling to you, and I I believe that uh, most of us have that on us. I believe most of us have an assignment from the devil that wants to connect poverty to us, and we have to know how to come before the courts of heaven and have that legal right uh, revoked. You know, laziness and and that kind of thing is one of the issues that can grant it a legal right. But there are many, many others in scriptures. And when we deal with the legal issues and repent of that and ask for the legal claim of poverty to be revoked, then we can get free from it and we can start prospering. Yes, yes, that is that is so good. There's a, there was a section in your book that I really liked too. When uh, when when people talk about the curse in the garden, when when uh, Adam and Eve were were cursed in the garden after they disobeyed God, that wasn't a curse that they would live in poverty, right? That's right. That's right. It was that they would have diminished returns from their labors because that's literally what it was. It said, it said, you'll labor, you'll toy, it'll bring forth thorns and thistles. And so it wasn't poverty. It was that their labors would not produce as abundantly as what God had originally intended. And so we have been delivered from the law of sin and death. We have been delivered from that curse. And so we need to, if you will, go before the Lord and cancel any claim that thing would have so that my labors are free to bring forth the abundant return that God actually wants them to be. You know, just recently, Donna, this, this amazed me. And, and I, I didn't put this in any of this because this book was already written. But, but this is so – two weeks before this COVID thing hit and we all had to go through what we went yes. through. The Lord spoke to me one morning when I was praying, and he said to me, I'm about to pay you uh, a, a day's wage for an hour's worth of work. And, and, I'm, and he was speaking to me out of Matthew 20 of where the one that was hired for an hour worked for an hour, but he got the same pay as those who worked all yes. day long. And the Lord said, and the Lord said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pay you a day's wage for an hour's worth of work. And when he said that, I thought, how are you going to do that? This is what I thought because I knew he was he was talking about my travels and that I've been traveling so hard for so many years. And he said, and the Lord spoke to me and he said, no, I am going to actually cause you to be paid as much as if you worked all day for an hour. And I've got to tell you, I have watched that happen because I believe the curse of diminished returns has been broken off my life so that I am free to prosper on a level even in the midst of these situations uh, that, that I would have never been able to prosper on before. And I've watched that happen. I'm actually watching that happen. It's quite an amazing thing. Um, I'll just tell you my daughters that, that work for me my, because we've been blessed enough that my, uh, several of my children work full-time for the ministry. Well, my daughters went to the, you know, make the deposits and all these kind of things. And my daughter texted me. She said, Dad, this was the deposit we made. Just want you to know. And I said, and I wrote back, wow. And she said to me, she said, God must really love you. <laughs> and, 
And and I so texted back to her and I said, yeah, he does. <laughs> but my point about that is simply this. It is it is because somehow or another we practice some principles in the legal realm that's actually revoked the right of the enemy to, to afflict us with diminished returns from our labor. Yes. Because, because it's like there's a fruitfulness and there's a prosperity that has come that has allowed the blessing of God to flow. Mm. Yes, yes, that is so good. Robert, you tell us in your book here that money talks. It actually has a voice. Explain that. Well, you know, for years I taught principles you know that we we sow our seed, we get a harvest, and and I and I understand that. I mean, those, that's biblical concepts. But when I discovered this out of Hebrews seven and verse eight, that it says that here mortal men, uh, here mortal men receive tithes, and because it's talking about the Levitical priesthood under the old covenant, how that the people would bring their tithes to the Levites. It said, so it says here mortal men receive tithes, but there. Speaking of the Melchizedek order, because the whole Hebrew 7 is the contrast between the Levites uh, and that priesthood and the Melchizedek order that Jesus is high priest of. So it says, here mortal man received tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lived. And what grasps my attention is that word witnessed because it actually means to give a judicial testimony. So what it's saying is that when we bring our tithe, and order and honor the Melchizedek order. We are actually releasing a testimony uh, in heaven, in, in the judicial system of heaven, that is declaring that as far as we are concerned, he lives. Yes. That, that my tithe is actually speaking that. And I also believe that when it says it, it, it's saying he lives, it is connecting us, that the voice of that tithe is connecting us to the present-day ministry of Jesus as our high priest, Mm -hmm. because as our high priest, he is making intercession for us. And so when I bring my tithe, my money is so releasing a testimony that it is witnessing that I believe he lives and that it is connecting me to that life that he is presently living for. Yes, yes. And present day, I I like that you said it's connecting me to the present-day life that Jesus that Jesus is living now in our present day. There's a couple of testimonies that you even had that that relate to a person being a tither. Uh, one, someone was even healed of cancer. Yes, I um, um, I had a, my son had contacted me and said, "Could you please pray for this guy? He's a friend of mine. I know him." And I said, "You know, I agreed." And so long story short, we got on a three way call and. And I'd never done this before, but I led this man. He, he understood the courts of heaven. He had read my books. He was in full agreement with them. And he, he said to me, uh, I, I said, um, I said, pray this prayer. I said, because he was a pastor. I said, would you just say, Lord, as I stand before you, I want to say I'm a tither. And that I ask that my tithe would now connect me to your present day life in my behalf. And that, and I would have, and I pray something like this, Lord, what my prayers are unable to accomplish, would your prayers in my behalf now accomplish for me and to let healing flow into my life? And within a day or two, all the tumors had come off of his body, and the doctors were amazed, and, and healing began to move forward in his body. And, and But it was because he connected to the present-day life 
by asking that his tithe would be accepted before the Lord. And, and this is what I've learned to do, that, that the inadequacies of my prayers would be overcome by the prayer power of who Jesus yes. is and the adequacy of his prayers in my behalf. Because my prayers, they have limits on them, but Jesus' prayers have no limits. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> It's like he was, because he is our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So literally there was a release of healing that came. Yes, yes. Woo. And even this next testimony, we, we cannot go without letting the listeners hear this as well. There was a testimony of, um, of a, a young boy, a little boy, I believe. You said he was two years old, two, three years old. He was a toddler, in other words, who had gotten away from his parents and was drowned. Yes, it was a it was a uh, it was a story that that's true that was told about a, a, an American speaker that was down in the interior of Mexico in the desert areas, um, and uh, and so they were holding crusades there. The local or, or the Mexican leader that had had this the, the the minister from America come in. He was doing the translating for the meetings. Uh, and, and like they would do in the in the Indian reservations here in the states, they were doing something very similar there uh, in that particular area. And because it's desert, they would dig holes and line them with plastic, uh, and then fill them with water in this desert place for the purpose of baptisms. For um, for when the converts were made, then they would you know also have baptismal services where they would baptize these new converts. So what had happened? They were having one of the morning services, and somehow or another, the two-year-old son of the Mexican man that was holding the meetings, that was the host for the meetings, had gotten away from those who were keeping, had fallen into this water, this baptistry, and had drowned. And they he was there long enough that they could that, that when they found him, his body was already bloated from the sun. Mm-hmm. He had been there that long. And so they came running into the meeting and told the pastor, the Mexican pastor, you have to come. So they come he comes, grabs the son, sees what's happened, runs into a shack, and all the people come out of the meetings, and they're lining the shack. And, of course, it's just this little shack, and there's actually cracks between the walls and the, and the wood that the shack is made of. So the people are crowded around the house, the shack, looking in, and the a Mexican pastor is there on the bed cradling his son, crying out to God in Spanish. And the American speaker is also crowding around um, along with the people, and he doesn't understand Spanish. And he says to the people, what's, what's he saying? What's he saying? Because the pastor is just crying out to God, crying out to God. And they said he's saying, but God, I'm a tither. But God, I'm a tither. And he said instantly the power of God came into that shack. And the, the, the boy began to cough and spit up and instantly came back to life, and his body shrank back to normal. And he was completely revived, resurrected from the dead, and completely healed. And I've told that story before many times, but when I understood that our tithe has a voice that's speaking in our behalf, I understood it on a whole other level. That literally the tide of this pastor was speaking in heaven, in the courts of heaven, and God rendered a decision based on what that tide was saying and brought this boy back to, back to life. And, and the pastor.
master saw his dead son resurrected because of his agreement with that which his tithe was saying in the courts of heaven in his behalf. That is so powerful. It's it's hard to even sit here and think about. I mean, even the presence of the Lord as you're, as you're saying that, Robert, you think about how that father was holding that little boy and what he could think about was how God had been faithful to him and how he in turn was giving his tithe. And as you taught, that tithe was connecting to to Jesus, to the present life of Jesus through that tithe. Oh, man, I just listened to that, and it's almost to where you, you have to sit a moment and say something that is has been taught for, for centuries, the tithe, the giving, to know that at this level, that tithe has a voice, and it's, it, it's speaking, and it's connecting with Jesus in the courts of heaven and that father crying out, but wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm a tither, I'm a tither. Whoo, boy, as a mom, that just really, really speaks to me. I'm thinking, you know, I think sometimes these principles that we are taught, I don't think sometimes we understand the power behind them when we, when we trust God and we, when we do it the way he says for us to do it. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I have told that story not a, not a lot, but every time I tell that story, the presence of the Lord comes and, you know, bears witness to that. Because I always, I always number one, it's like the goodness and the mercy of the Lord is so manifest in it. But it's also verifying these principles that says, this is the way I do things. And if you'll if you'll obey me in these in these areas, then you're going to release something that actually is speaking in in behalf of you, you know, before yes. the Lord. And th- see, this is what people need to understand about our finances. Cornelius, in Acts chapter ten, he was his house was chosen as the entry point for the Holy Spirit into the Gentile world because of his giving and his prayers that were mixed together. Yes. It caused it caused a memorial. It caused something to speak before God that caused God to remember His house above all other Gentile houses. Yes, yes. See, because there was a, there was a testimony being given in His behalf with His prayers and His giving that was speaking, and so our money has a very powerful voice uh, before the Lord. And I literally come before the Lord, and I will pray on the basis of my offerings. I will say, Lord. Remember my offerings that I have brought before you. Let them speak before you as I have brought my offerings in worship and adoration. Let it speak before you and let me be remembered before you. And because I am aware of it from the court of heaven perspective, but also from the scriptures of that which that is speaking before God in my behalf. Yes, yes. This teaching is life-changing, Robert. I have to tell you, this is this is a teaching that, that I had not heard of before a few years ago before you started coming to visit us. And it is, it's, it's literally life-changing. Well, let me take just a second here and, and let everybody know that Sid and I have been so excited about this resource that we're offering from you, Robert, today. And once again, it is your new book, brand new book, Unlocking Wealth from the Courts of Heaven. And as I said before, what timely information for these 
economic challenges uh, that, that many of us are facing today. You'll also receive Robert's brand new mini book, which is called Five Secrets to Resetting Economies which is also very pertinent to what we're living in right now and perfect for carrying around with you. Put it in your purse, put it in your briefcase, leave it on your desk, your coffee table. And uh, also Robert has prepared a brand new and exclusive two-part audio teaching called Prospering in the Midst of Change. So again, be sure to listen for Sid at the end of the program so that you'll know exactly how you can get this life-changing resource from Robert today. Um, I want to talk about one other little thing here before we leave. Boy, it's hard to get out of that presence that we were just in there, Robert. It, that was that, that was extremely powerful. But I did want you to talk just a little bit about your, your mini book that's called Five Secrets to Resetting Economies because... You, you have told us, and we are all so aware, the virus crisis that hit us, this pandemic worldwide that hit us, is, is, is of course, it was a terrible thing. But the economic fallout could even be worse. Yes, you know, three weeks before, before this hit. I mean, we knew about the COVID-19 from China, but we, we didn't understand the threat. No one is, was saying, you know, the way it was going to affect the whole world or, or coming to America. So about three weeks before uh, this happened, um, I had a dream. And in my dream, I was standing next to President Trump, and I was, I was bumping up against him with my shoulder, playing with him in my dream. And I did that for quite a while, and he, he, he then looked at me, and he said – this is the presidency of the United States of America. And I suddenly realized that I was not taking serious something that was to be taken mm -hmm. serious. And then all of a sudden, as I was standing there with him, there was a table before us, and there was a newspaper on the table, and it was open to the financial report. And President Trump took his hand and was running his hand over the newspaper looking at the financial report. Then he would turn the page, look at the next one. He did this several times. When he was through – he, he folded the paper up back into into a shape, and he handed it to me, and that was the end of the dream. But I knew when he handed it to me, he was handing me an assignment. And so I, when I woke up, I thought I, – this is what I, I thought. I didn't understand the COVID thing at this time. I thought there is, there is going to be an effort to destroy the economy so that President Trump cannot be reelected. And that, and that I need – I was being given the assignment to stand before the Lord so that the economy would not be destroyed but would, would be reset. Yes. And, and that that was the assignment that I was to pray for the economy to be reset so that the, uh, the efforts to keep President Trump from being reelected – would would you know would falter if you will, and so th I, I understand. And then all of a sudden, three weeks later, this all begins to hit. And so, even though I know that there were probably things that needed to be done, I feel like there was a very strong manipulation of some of sure. this with the intent and the agenda to sway the the election in November. Mm -hmm. But I believe that we are supposed to be praying. So what I did was I wrote this book on how we as believers should be standing in the court of heaven and, um, and would be able to see the economy reset uh, and, and not destroyed uh, and, and not annihilated. And I, I do believe, I mean, it's quite amazing. Like just, just even as we're talking, every time the monthly reports come out, they're, they're amazed. 
that we, well, we picked up five million new jobs this month, and because they're all expecting it to be less or even go the other way, and yet they're they're amazed because I believe that we are having an effect as we are praying for the resetting of the economy uh, so that people's lives will not be destroyed, but also the agendas that that are being for you know that are being tried to be played out or being thwarted and so we're just continuing to stand to believe God for his purposes to be yes done. yes and this is a very positive book I love the book you give us five secrets to resetting economies and you tell us God has a solution to this just like every other thing and not only can God meet us wherever our needs are but he can also save the economies of the nations so right before we leave here Robert can I ask you to pray for those that are listening absolutely absolutely so father I just want to bless your people Lord I believe it's your heart for us to prosper Lord your, your word says that we should prosper and be in health even as our souls prosper And, Lord, I thank you that there is a revoking of any legal right a poverty spirit is claiming, that it is being revoked and it is being removed so that your people are coming out from underneath its influence and able to come into the prosperity of the Lord, and that each one will be used, as you have appointed and assigned, for the transference of wealth to come even in these seasons and in these times so that your agenda in the earth might be played out and your purpose is fulfilled. Father, I thank you for doing this. I thank you for freeing your people from every spirit of lack and need and bringing us, Lord, into a place of abundance, Lord, so that we can be blessed and serve you without distraction, but also a part of that which you would do in this time, in this season. I bless your people, and I call them into this realm, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Robert, thank you so much for being with us and bringing this, as I called it before, very, very timely and life-changing word. Thank you. It's my honor. Bless you. (laughs) Absolutely. And now, here's Sid Roth to tell you how you can get this resource package from Robert Henderson. Sid? Sid? 